Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, we got P Nate and Pootie in the studio. I went with it that time, Nate. How do you feel about it? I like it. I'm I'm good with it. You're good I, with I it. I think P Nate sounds better than Pootie, so I'm happy with it. Yeah, you you won the name game between the two of us. I think of the many games I win with us. Yeah, yeah, a few. Anyway, uh, back in the studio today. Uh, for part two of our apologetics, do we call it a series when it's only two episodes? Is that a thing we do? You, you can call it whatever you want, Chris. I, Nobody is here to correct you except me, and I won't. Yeah, I guess we're our own bosses here. So. Here we are. This is why we do this, <laughs> so we can have some semblance of control so, some in our crazy lives. In our, in our lives. Part two of our episode is what we're, go, we're going with here today. And uh, we just want to start, as always, by encouraging our listeners to like, share us, on Facebook, on Twitter, you can comment on our videos on Facebook or on our Twitter account, which is at Rebel Alliance MD. Um, or you can go and uh, go right to our website, which is just simply rebelalliancemedia.com. And there's some all of our past episodes if you're just joining us. We hope this is the 32nd time you're listening to us. But if it's not, you can catch up on all our past episodes right on our website. And I would advise you not to listen to the pilot. Um, <laughs> Why do you hate the pilot so much? I, I, I mean, it wasn't great. I, I, I was get... very ill that day. Do you remember? I, oh, like, yeah, you had a bad cold. I had a bad cold. So I sound like I've got like something up my nose or something. It was terrible. Felt very robotic. Like we weren't good at banter. We... And... <laughs> We had it all scripted out, and it was a bad idea. Now we're off the cuff. Off we the cuff. Have, we could say anything right now. I, I, I probably will. You will. Anything. You will. That was a terrible joke. Anyway, so, and we are proud members of the Berean Media Network with our friends, the Two Thieves, the Layman's Cup, and the Front Pew Podcast. And I'm, I'm can I take a second just to call, call Sean Lee out for a minute? Sure. Because I'm going to say it. If you want to know more about the Berean Media Network, you can visit the website at BereanMediaNetwork.com, where you will see the Two Thieves and the Layman's Cup. You will not see the Rebel Alliance or the Front Pew. I kind of feel a little bit like we're second-class citizens. Maybe we're on probation. Like, you know, that, when you get a job, you get like three months before you get hired. For, have we for been real? in it for three months? I feel like it. I feel like we have. Maybe it's a six-month term. Well, six- nobody, nobody, I, I'd like to talk to the labor board because, um, that was not clearly communicated. Who's our union rep? You, I would think you should be the union rep. You're the most fair. Uh, all right. Well, in this case, I have nothing come to on, base that on. Come on, Sean, let's, let's get, uh, in, in fact, Chris is really good with websites. Just, just give him the passwords and he'll get on there and, and switch it all up. Now, layman might end up at the very bottom of the list, but give them to Chris. He'll get them up there. I'll just superimpose our faces on everyone. Nice. That's the way that works. Me and Wetlaufer, it'd be great. So go to the BereanMediaNetwork.com, see two of our friends. Uh, you will not see Chris Griggs, Ben Rudolph, or Matt Caps in the front pew, and you will not see the Rebel Alliance. But that's okay. And if, if you're if you're one of our listeners who who've got into this podcast thing with us, um, if you wonder why we we continually push you guys to go listen to those other podcasts, we want you to still listen to us, obviously. But it's because we really we really do believe in what they're doing. Um, each each podcast kind of hits something a little bit different, and we kind of approach even similar topics in very different ways. Like, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, for instance, just one example. I won't go all, all through the 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 two thieves. They break down a lot of like doctrinal, big idea type Christian Christian yeah. stuff. Technical theology. They yeah, really basically yeah. 
that was the word I was trying to find, technical, and I didn't find it. But anyway, yeah. um, which really just is so challenging when you listen sometimes to them and just be like, really makes you think about certain things. And then there's like, you know, us, we're trying to do something practical, the layman kind of doing similar to us with practical stuff. Yeah, and see, then- and I would say the layman, uh, there's, you know, there's four of them and they're just kind of talking through it. Really, honestly, with the layman, it sounds like they always say, uh, share a cup of coffee with four guys seeking the truth one sip at a time. But, but really, I mean, it feels like you're in small group. It feels like you're sitting there talking about theology with your small group. And then, of course, the front pew is is the podcast by pastors, for pastors. They talk a lot about um, what's going on in the church. Um, they, they bring things to kind of a pastoral level and, uh, and look at things through that lens of being pastors. Uh, so, yeah, everybody kind of hits on something slightly different. And, uh, and depending on where you are in your faith, um, you might find one more helpful than the other. But, uh, but we really believe in what all those guys are doing and uh and we'd love for you to continue to grow alongside us and alongside them yeah exactly and we listen to their podcasts every week and and we are challenged and we're growing and and we're really thankful for those guys exactly i mean and if you're not a pastor the front pew is still for you too like yeah for sure um one of the things i think is really helpful with their podcast is just hearing how pastors think out church issues and things in the church and that pastoral perspective that you don't always necessarily get because as you've you've said before, sometimes being a pastor is a kind of a lonely, lonely role. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's be. lots of times you might be the only one in your church, and it's one of those things where the, like that podcast you get you get to see them connecting and really working out church things at that level. And I think that's super helpful for people who are volunteering. Hopefully, like everybody listening, right? Wink um, in the church to understand that level. Yeah. And I just think it's very helpful. So, uh, but that's enough of that for today. I think um, we're going to go back onto our Twitter watch. We uh, called this What's Joel Saying? This What's segment. Joel Saying? <laughs> Twitter watch is a good one though. Let's call it Twitter watch. I, I just thought of that right now. Off wow, the cuff off and love the it. Cuff. Good thing we didn't script this. <laughs> good thing. So we're going to basically pull up some of our Favorite non like false teachers is that is that favorite a favorite false teachers is that seems like an oxymoron favorite heretics favorite heretics um, and just you know going off on a, a few things they're saying and then we'll comment so why don't you start with one Nate and then I'll come okay in. I got our buddy Joel who started this segment for us um, and uh, and Joel he just tweeted this out two hours ago so he says um, be strong and of good courage nothing is a surprise to him hey. Hey, so hey, we're, hey, we're good. So far, so good, Joel. Then he says, God has already armed you with the strength to face every battle. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> well, and I would just say, like, you know, where where is the reliance, right? God, God sent manna to the Israelites wandering in the desert to teach them a principle that comes back to over and over again in Scripture, and that is rely on God today for the grace to get through today. And trust that tomorrow he'll give you the grace to get through tomorrow. So God hasn't um, downloaded into you the strength to face every trial because every time you meet a trial, you meet with the Lord and you you get the grace to 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 meet that trial. So Maybe. sorry, Osteen, you were so close. He, he takes You're the armor. So close. He takes the armor of God literally. He wakes up every day, puts on armor. He's like, I got <laughs> this today, man. I got this. Where are the this. pants? There are no pants. Okay, so you got one. Not our friend Osteen. Who do you have there? <laughs> I got Joyce Meyer. Um, so she said on the 17th of September of 2016, or no, September, 2017, this is recent. Sorry, my fault, my fault. Read the date wrong. Reading is hard. Um, forget all about the what ifs. We must learn to be out of control and love it. 
God, give us the reins. God, go, oh, sorry. Give God the reins and put him in the driver's seat. Wrong. <laughs> He's a sovereign God. Well, I, I do love the, the theatrical reading. Well done. Um, but I would say that, uh, I mean, come on, Joyce. He's sovereign. If he's not already in the driver's seat, there's something wrong going on. He is the sovereign Lord. Uh, so you don't have to give him the wheel. <laughs> you don't have to put him in the driver's seat. He is in the driver's seat, and you need to learn to deal with it. <laughs> I love I love the whole, like, must live out of control. So, like, where, what about all the, like, you know, be a good steward? Like it was like, I'm just going to throw all my money away because I'm out of control. Or one of the fruits of the spirit, which is self-control. <laughs> Come on, Joyce. Come on, Joyce. Okay. Here's another one from our buddy Osteen. This is actually the one that he tweeted right before the last one. So it's not like I'm digging. <laughs> I'm really not. These are just, his two most just, recent his tweets. two most recent tweets. You may feel like you're surrounded by an army, but the truth is you are surrounded by God's favor. Now, the reason I'm putting that there is because he has 6.3 million followers. You don't think that some of those people living in sin, to tell those all 6.3 million people who follow you, Joel, that they are surrounded by God's favor is to just lie to them. You can't tell somebody who is, who is, who is living in unrepentant sin, willful unrepentant sin, that they are surrounded by God's favor. Yeah. You need to tell them they need to repent and believe. Well, I, I find it funny. So, so common, these, these uh, false teachers, you never hear the, the term repentance from them. No, really. They're never, they're never saying turn from your wicked sins. It's just like God loves you. So they don't they, even generally say sin. They talk about <laughs> mistakes and they talk about boo-boos or whatever. <laughs> oh, I've made a mistake. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, you don't have a mistake issue or a clumsiness <laughs> issue. You have a sin issue. Yeah, exactly. All right, we got one more? Yeah, well, let's just make sure everybody knows wrong. Yeah, wrong. Did we say that wrong? No, we've, we're trying that whole new thing. It didn't work that time. But anyway, I have uh, T.D. Jakes, who's a... Pastor, like he calls himself Bishop Jakes. Does he really? Yeah. What's he saying? Oh, anyway, sorry, I got confused by the fact that he called himself Bishop. Um, he said, and this might even be confusing. So, but this is a real twi- Twitter uh, tweet, I guess you'd say. Any word that comes to you and says you won't make it is a wicked prophecy. So, one wrong, wrong. <laughs> What about all the verses, and I can't even just pick one because they're numerous, that point out that, you know, Christians will likely suffer some on to death. Yep. <laughs> so, Or Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So what happens if that, yeah, yeah just no, Jakes, no. There's, there's lots of places in the Bible where it says you can't. <laughs> It's a very well-used word in the New Testament. Can't. You can't do that. Sorry, yeah. Jakes, you're wrong. You're wrong. I, I I, was about to say, come on, Jakes, you're better than that. But he probably, he like, he really isn't. Not from what I've seen, man. It blows my mind. Oh, so, boy. Hopefully so, you're not following any of those guys. Yeah, so don't follow them. We will. <laughs> and we'll make fun of their tweets. Follow John Piper. Follow Matt Chandler. Follow uh, Sam Storms and Doug Wilson. You'll get some good, uh, solid tweets. And likely follow anybody that they're following. Yeah. So that's that's good advice, too. Yeah. I think I might, on our Twitter account, might just start following all these guys so I can write wrong underneath all of their their comments. Do it. We'll probably get more followers. It's all about the likes. 
It's all about. Well, all we are talking about, about apologetics about and likes. giving a defense for the face. So maybe it might spark them in engaging with Rebel Alliance. You know what that is? That's a segue. That's a good segue. What we're talking about today, uh, what we're talking about today is apologetics. We are uh, talking about uh, we're we're taking this. This is part two of our little apologetics mini series or apologetics uh, duo or tandem. Um, and uh, last time, uh, last episode, if you haven't heard it, I would love for you to go back and listen to it. Uh, not that you won't understand things, but we just kind of lay some foundational work there. So we're talking about apologetics, which is essentially just the defense of the Christian faith, learning how to defend our faith, learning how to engage in conversation with people where we are espousing a Christian worldview in the face of uh, whatever secular worldview they might be following. So today what we want to do is we kind of want to get into some of the practicalities and show you how to engage in certain topics that will come up. They will come up. Because the truth is, Chris, we, we live in a culture here in Canada, and a lot of our listeners down in the States, it's not much different, that is very hostile towards Christianity. Very hostile towards Christianity. Absolutely. Uh, and so um, as you engage in conversations, these are some of the things that are going to come up. So just just a, a, a reminder, one of the biggest tools that we told you uh, about last time, well, well, we'll just go through the four principles that we talked about. We talked about how uh, to be a good apologist, the four things are kind of believe that Christianity is true, right? Objectively true. Not just something you believe in, but believe that it's true. Number two, know the Bible well. Number three, ask questions so that you get into the driver's seat of the conversation. You're not put in the hot seat. And number four, learn how to get to the gospel in these conversations. So we're going to show you a little bit about what that looks like here and now. So um, you know, one of the first things that is going to likely come up in, in any uh, question about Christianity, uh, Chris, is um, the, just the accusation that Christianity is, is outdated, that Christianity just, just foundationally isn't true. So let's start out by just reminding you, uh, one of the things that we talked about was asking questions. And, and so we're going to, um, have you ever seen, Chris, did you ever watch Columbo? I've seen episodes, but okay. I, I wouldn't say I was an avid Columbo guy. Okay, so the old uh, detective Columbo, right? Uh, Greg Kokel, uh, he he calls this the Columbo technique. And uh, the Columbo technique in in talking about your faith is just to ask questions. And, and Columbo was a detective who was known for continually asking so many questions that he aggravated people, right? And so he was famous for the, just one more thing, just one more thing. And he kept asking more and more questions. So reminder to our, our uh, listeners that you ought to learn how to engage in conversation in a way that you're asking questions until you see an opening that you're comfortable kind of talking about and, and, and jumping into. Um, but, but all of these things that we're talking about are, are unavoidable. These things will come up. You can't just continue to ask questions and not answer other people's questions. So here's some things that are going to come up. And one of the first things that's going to come up, because everything else is related to this, is how can you trust the Bible? So this will come out in a number of ways, right? It'll come out as, well, the Bible was just written by men. Or it'll come out with, um, well, the Bible's been translated so many times, who knows what it says. Or Christians can't agree on what the Bible says anyway, so how can you trust it? So let's kind of respond to a couple of those things, Chris. When when you get uh, accused of uh, believing in a Bible that um, was written by men, or has been translated so many times that it doesn't make sense, or if you're asked the question, why do you trust the Bible, where do you go from there? Well, the first thing I do, if somebody asks me, was the Bible written by men, I say yes. Because it was, but right. it was written by inspired men, and there's a big difference there. Um, but 
using what we say we we should, I believe the Bible is true, and I believe what it says about itself to be true. Um, so the first thing I I want to point out is that we aren't on the defense in this in this topic. If somebody says, "Is the Bible written by men?" Yes, it is. But what is science written by? What it, what where, with what area are you getting your truth? Well, who who wrote those books? Get into the topic of where the where the authorship's authority comes from is the first thing I want would would go into in terms of that. And then in terms of like you said, and and knowing so we we talked about this right. So you said believe Christianity is true, right? So you believe the Bible is true. And then one of the the second piece of advice we gave people is know the Bible well. So know those places in Scripture, like Second Timothy chapter three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God, right? So this idea that even though God used men to write it down, it's written by God, right? It's 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 a and and this is this is kind of the fundamental thing that that I think is different about the Bible, is you have to ask the question, is the Bible a book written by men about God or a book written by God for men, right? And we would say, though God used people to actually pen it down, this is a book given to us by God to men. This is his revelation of himself to us. So that's what we believe about the Bible. And so the first thing is, don't be ashamed of that. That's what we believe. We believe in this book. We believe that God... Uh, gave us this book through a bunch of um, you know sheep herders back in the olden <laughs> days. Um, we believe that God inspired men like Moses uh, to pen down these things, and uh, that it's been preserved through the years for our instruction. We believe that, so embrace that. Absolutely, and then not that you want to get always into into the technical things, but there are numerous things that we can point to in terms of extra biblical sources about how the Bible has been preserved over the, over those times. Right. Speaking about how they, in the Old Testament, passed it down and the consequences for mistranslation. Yep. All the way up to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the fact that they've used, and I know people have heard the recipe analogy where it's so many times they they only pick the ones that have 95% con, like concurrence between them two. You can get into that stuff. If you really need to, if if uh, and honestly, if you just a Christian who's listening to this, if you just for your own um, for your own study, Dr. James White, I think is is the most helpful on this. He is so good. If you just go back to some of his dividing line episodes, or you go back to some of his written uh, his books and and that sort of thing, he's done a great job at making um, biblical scholarship. Um, accessible, and he talks a lot about how they translated things, how many copies there are, how they how they're confident that they've put the right Bible together, and all that kind of stuff. So, for your own knowledge, um, that that's a really good tool. But you're not going to get into that in you know the conversation around the dinner table with your <laughs> non Christian uh, family or, or friends. So, yeah, exactly. And it, it, I think I think a lot of what we we said in the last episode. A lot of it is who you're talking to, too, right? Yeah, for um, sure. You, you need to know: is this the kind of person that you're going to have a like a presuppositional conversation with, where there's there's basis? That's just a big word for things that are already assumed before a conversation begins. And Christians already assume the Bible is true. People who are attacking that generally assume the other thing. Yep. And you just need to know where this conversation and who you're kind of dealing with. And I know we could probably do a whole episode on that. We're going to leave that. Um, we just want to talk more practically, but know the kind of conversation, like what we said with Jesus at the, with the girl at the well and with Nicodemus, know the kind of person you're talking to because you have a relationship hopefully with them Right. to know if it's something where facts are what you need or argue on a high level. Right. And I would just say, um, 
a couple of things if in a very kind of brief conversation, in a very quick conversation, the average person is going to throw that out as an accusation. Why should I trust the Bible? It was just written by men. Well, here are just a couple of talking points, a couple of things for you to consider. Maybe something that you can, and I don't think any one of these is a silver bullet, but I think that maybe these things put together uh, begin to create a, a view of the, a higher view of the Bible. Um, so you, you think about the the prophecy that's in the Bible, right? You think about the the fact that there are Old Testament verses um, like Isaiah forty five that name. Cyrus, right, King Cyrus of Persia, um, 150 years before he was ever born, the Bible names him. So much so that um, uh, critical scholars have tried to divide the book of Isaiah into uh, several different authors. Why? Because they look at verses like that and they come with their presuppositions. Well, the Bible can't be true, and we, we know that there's there's extra biblical evidence that this was written prior to Cyrus being born, so we are going to have to come up with some sort of theory that says Isaiah was written by multiple people and put together because we can't explain this this prediction, this prophecy. You think about the Old Testament and, and, and how many times it talks about Jesus, right? The predictions about Jesus' life, where he'd be born, what he would do, what his death would look like, what his life would look like, what his mother would look like, um, where he would go, where he would die, at whose hands he would die, on what instrument of torture he would be killed, right? And you look at uh, some of the suffering servant psalms, and you look at or, uh, uh, um, passages in Isaiah, I mean, or you look at Psalm 22, and the, the specificity with which it talks about Jesus' life and death um, and, and, and again, even critical scholars look at that and, and struggle with the fact that Jesus seems to fit these prophecies down to a T. Uh, and I don't know all the numbers, but there are hundreds, literally hundreds of prophecies, predictions about the life of Jesus that came true in Jesus. Um, so you look at those kinds of things. You look at um, some, even the accuracy in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and Daniel interprets that dream, and he talks about the four kingdoms that would rule the world, and uh, and he interprets those things. He doesn't name them, but uh, we understand uh, that it, you go back through history and you look at um, you know the Babylonian Empire, and then you look at the Medo-Persian Empire, and you look at the Assyrian Empire, and you look at the Roman Empire, and you recognize that it was actually giving a really good overview of what history was going to look like. Um, so you look at the prophecy there and, and the predictive nature of some of the Old Testament things and what actually happened in the New Testament and beyond. Um, so there is a supernatural element to those pieces of the Bible. You also look at the, the history of the Bible. It's interesting that historically there have been accusations thrusted upon the Bible about things like um, uh, the Hittites, right? The Hittites were a people group that uh, history had no recollection of. Nowhere else in, in, in antiquity were the, these people mentioned. And that was th- thrown as an accusation of, uh, towards the Bible that it talks about this people group that doesn't even exist. And then, of course, years later, after more archaeology and more um, digging, they find a people called the Hittites, and they find it outside of the Bible from other civilizations' writings. Or you look at um, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And you find that um, where the Bible talks about Sodom and Gomorrah being and the way in which it was destroyed, and then as archaeology uncovers a city in that area of the world, that 
that looks as though it was destroyed by fire very suddenly, very quickly. Um, and so you look at some of these things. I, I recently read an article about the walls of Jericho, and they found where they believe Jericho to be. And one of the interesting things was that the walls, um, uh, as they were excavating, seemed to have fallen out rather than in which is odd for an, uh, a dug-up city because if it was, if it was um, destroyed, then generally the weapons of war would have broken the walls inward toward the city. But that's not how they found Jericho. Uh, interestingly, it looked as though the walls fell out and they couldn't explain that without going back to the Bible and recognizing that God brought those walls down supernaturally. So there's, there's historical things in the Bible that seem to point to it being, being more than just a book written by men. And then you look at the unity, right? So if you asked, if you got 10 modern people in the room, and ask them questions about some of the big things. What is, is there a God? What is God like? Um, what are some of his attributes? What's the purpose in life? What is, um, you know, who are God's chosen people? You ask some of these big questions and you would get all kinds of answers. And yet the Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors who all lived at different periods of time. Some of them were kings, some of them were shepherds, some of them were rich, some of them were poor, some of them were educated, some of them were uneducated, and yet they unify to create one picture of God, one story of redemption, and the unity that exists between these 40 different authors from different walks of life and these 66 different books written at, at, at different periods. There's something supernatural about the unity there. Um, you, you think about uh, the, the, the subjective nature of the Bible, the fact that throughout 2,000 years of church history, the Bible has transformed people's lives. You look at men like William Wilberforce or John Knox or Martin Luther, who literally changed the course of human history. What was their motivation? What made them willing to sacrifice and give so much of their lives? They believed in this Bible. So subjectively, the Bible changes lives. So I'm not saying any one of these things is a silver bullet for why an atheist <laughs> should trust the Bible, but what I'm saying is that here are some responses that you can give to the accusation, why do you believe the Bible is true, or how can you trust the Bible? So there's, there's, that's just one thing. It looks like we might not have time to go through all the things we wanted to touch on, so maybe they won't all take that much time. No, but if you, if you, if you just take the same method for everything. Right, so we'll get to like, what we get to. So exactly. So like you take the, take the method, ask questions. Understand what the Bible says about itself. Believe it so that you know that, and we say that not just to be like, believe the Bible because it's true, but believe it so you understand how these things fit into the whole story. Yep. Understand what that means for your life. And it also means for the culture around us because the Bible speaks to the culture around us in these, in these areas. And then ask questions. And right. that, that's all you're doing there. You're asking the questions because what you were doing kind of was giving, giving evidences, which are asking a question for them to respond to the evidence you've just provided, right. which is basically not to go back to the analogy of a court case. What a court case is, it's evidence versus evidence of what happened. Right. You're giving an evidence based on the Bible of, but and in that, in that case, extra biblical about why you can then believe the, what the Bible says is true. Right. So just get your mind to thinking of that, of, of it in that, in that term, and I think that'll be very helpful for our listeners. Yeah. And just, just so you know, we will we'll likely do a whole episode on, on kind of presuppositional apologetics in that particular method. Um, I, we are not so presuppositional in our apologetics that we think that talking about evidence is, um, is a waste of time. I think, I think we can marry these two things. I don't think they're completely um, uh, diametrically opposed. 
Um, but, but like you said, yeah, when somebody says, well, how do you believe the Bible? I don't say, well, you know, 40 different authors, 66 different books, unity. I don't give them that answer. I say, well, if the Bible is just a, a book written by men, like you claim, then how do you explain this? Right. And I'll say that about each one of those answers that I gave. So again, I'm asking the question. I'm asking them for a response. Like you said, all I'm trying to do is get them to, to step into the, my line of thinking so that they can at least set aside their own worldview for, for a, a moment to understand that there are, are answers to the questions. And I don't think that they're going to say, oh my goodness, you're right. Jesus must be Lord, <laughs> right? But what I do think is that what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking that out of their bin of excuses, and then you're going to attack their presuppositions with the gospel. So anyway, um, one of the other questions that's going to come up every time, Chris, so how would you answer um, one of the biggest barriers, honestly, one of the biggest barriers in conversations is um, if God is, exists and God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is the world such a dark place? How do you answer that question? Well, there's there's lots of ways you can answer that question. For sure. Um, so the, the first the first way, again, I'm going to give you a couple different ways. Yeah, go for uh, it. Because there is, no, there is no silver bullet. What I say to one person will be not what works on that person or whatnot. Um, but the first thing I would I say when, why does God, God allowed bad things to happen in the world is another way to articulate the question yep. is to say, is to point out that we as humans tend to, to tend to think of us as the center of the story and that everything is based on our perspective and our understanding right there is a flaw. You have to get that flaw out of the idea. We aren't the king of the story. We're not the author of the story. God is the author of the story. So just like any good book you've read, any good movie, bad things happen in the movies to get you to a glorious conclusion, generally. It's the same idea with human history because God is the one telling the story. What happens on earth is all for his glory. So what happens to people, and, I, and I'm speaking at a time where there's terrible things happening in the world Two people, Christians and non-Christians alike. Yeah. I think the point is to have the right perspective that these things are all to point to the glory that God, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is in control and we all need to bow before him. And I think I would also point out the thing that the bad things that happen to people aren't, don't just happen to people who don't believe in God. They happen to everybody. Bad things happen to Right, rains on the everybody. just and the unjust. Exactly. It can happen to anyone and it happens... And is happening at all times. That's one way I would, I would kind of answer that question. Second way I would answer the question is just simply, um, if this is a person who's a little bit more biblically literate or whatnot, I might I might point out that, well, if if what we say we believe about the Bible is true, that there are some who are called and some who are not called. I wouldn't say this to somebody necessarily if they're not a believer, but play that out for a minute. That means there are people who are created simply to have things happen to them, good or bad, to contrast the way my life would live, to point me to God. What I mean by that is think of Romans 9, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, and Paul goes on to liken that with pots for uses, one for dishonorable use and one for honorable use. God has created certain people and certain events in history, we can we can make it an event too, because he's the same thing. 
certain things to happen for certain purposes. And those purposes are all for the, for ultimately for the believers and the elect on earth to see the glory of God. So bad things happening to people around us sometimes is simply so that it points to the glory of God around it. An example, let's just, let's just give a very brief example of what this could look like. I'm not saying this is the case, but if there's a flood in Houston and one of the, right now at the, at the moment that we're recording this terrible trial, devastation in the city of Houston. Good and bad people live in the city of Houston. I think everybody who's listening will agree that there are good and bad people in Houston. Both people had the same event happen to them, but the way Christians are then responding and the elect will be responding to that circumstances is with love to their neighbor, with love to the, their, hopefully with, to the area around them. And other people would see that action in them to glorify God. That's an example of how these things kind of get played out. A bad circumstance happens, but Christians then have to step up and do the thing that we're commanded to do, which is love our neighbor. And so it's just, it's just an opportunity for us to, to proclaim the glory of God. That's one quick example of how this would kind of look into. In other words, there's, like I said, there's multiple different ways to answer so, that. So. so just to make, just to simplify that for uh, some of the listeners, what I hear you saying essentially is that, um, Bad things, God God brings bad things into the world as well because he cares more about your ultimate good than your perceived good, right? So, so if a bad thing comes into your life that causes you to turn to him, then ultimately that's a good thing, even though we would look at the bad thing that caused it, right? So I, I, I think about, you know, um, you know, our, our mother-in-law, right? And, and, and her passing away. You can look at that and say, that's a horrible thing. But you and I have talked over the years about, you know, um, cancer is a horrible, horrible thing, but that brought some good as Christians and non-Christians in her life watched her live out her faith in her last days. And so you look at that and you'd say, that's a horrible thing that happened. That's unjust. That's unfair. And we all felt that at the time. But in hindsight, we can look and say, here are some good things that came of it. Salvation, deeper knowledge of God, more trust in God. And if we, with, with imperfect minds and lives, can look back at some of those things and say, we can see some of the good, then God in his perfect, uh, with his perfect mind and his uh, you know, infallible perspective can work all things together for good. So all the bad that looks so terrible and bad ultimately has purpose is, is kind of what you're saying. The other, the other way I would answer that question with an, with a complete non-Christian, right? Because that can be a tough answer to a, to an atheist. That, that's a hard, that can be yeah. a hard question for anybody, right? Absolutely. So one of the ways I would answer that question, they say, you know, how do you, why do you allow bad or why does, if God is good, why do bad things happen? Um, part, part of me, depending on who I'm talking to, if that's a very real person, then I might answer the question by simply saying, you know, what's interesting about Christianity is that um, we, we serve a God who actually entered into the suffering of the world, right? If, if they're asking that question from a very personal stance where they've suffered or a loved one has suffered, then I might answer it that personal way. Well, you know what? Christianity uniquely serves a God who entered into human suffering, and he knows what that suffering is like. So we don't serve a God who, who creates bad things in the world and separates himself from it, but a God who came down and experienced the worst good. That's one way to answer the question if, if it's coming from a place of personal hurt. But more often than not, I find this, this is thrown out as, as an accusation, right? If, that we're talking in the realm of theoretical. And if we're talking in the realm of theoretical, then I'll often say, what do you mean by good? 
What do you mean God's good? What do you mean bad? Like what, by what standard are you using the term bad or good, right? To say that, you know, cancer is a bad thing, hurricanes are a bad thing, people suffering is a bad thing, is making a judgment call that I don't think your atheistic evolutionary worldview allows you to make. That's just survival of the fittest. If somebody gets sick and dies, we ought not to look at them and say, oh, how horrible that is. God must be, you know, uh, uh, a horrible, horrible thing. What we ought to do, if evolution is true and survival of the fittest is true, is say that's survival of the fittest at work. That's evolution. Suck it up. But because we have empathy, because we have compassion, because we have some sort of internal sense when we look at suffering of malnutrition and and cancer and these sorts of things, and we say, that's horrible, that's not what it ought to be, means that we have some sort of internal sense of what ought to be. We have some internal sense of what's ultimately right and ultimately wrong. And to me, that's evidence of a creator who uh, who has created moral agents in his image. The fact that we look at suffering and say that's not right, that's not what it ought to be. So I I, I kind of try to turn that around and say this is actually evidence I think that there is a God because otherwise you have no basis for calling that thing bad. So there are lots of different ways, like you said, to answer that question, but there's just a couple. There's just a couple. Yeah, that that one kind of comes to one of the like whole underlying issues with with apologetics and just people worldviews in general is that where where do you put your standard of truth absolutely in in the world in the world around you because how can if your worldview is survival of the fittest darwinism played out to its natural conclusion well how is it wrong for me to eat the weak if the strong need to eat the weak to get stronger it doesn't make any sense for me to then say that's wrong um and further i i think it's always an interesting thing to just just to back up a step in that, in that kind of worldview in that world discussion is that people always assume that we're at the pinnacle of that evolution. Like in, if evolution is correct, that we, we, the underlying assumption is that we are at the pinnacle of it because we're the ones that can then at that point determine right, good and good and evil. Right. Whereas nothing before us has. And, and so well, what happens if what's good now isn't good ten years from now? You know what I mean? Or when? The, so, like, it's just you have well, to get them. To and understand that is that. the problem with with um, any worldview that doesn't have an objective standard, right? Anything that is subjective is constantly changing, and so it doesn't mean it means that um, majority is always right, and that's a really dangerous place. Yeah. So, Nate, what would you what would you say then if somebody then challenged our our objective standards and said it's outdated? It's not. It's not current because it was written two thousand years ago, and now culture has evolved. It's changed now, so right. these things are no longer relevant. Right. So to that, I would, I would, I, I ask questions. So I would say, do you think it's eighteen fifty right now? It's eighteen fifty. Do you think that slavery is right, or do you think slavery is wrong? Hopefully, they'll say that slavery is wrong. I would say, okay. So in eighteen fifty, slavery was wrong. Yes. Okay. So we can look back, you know, 160 years later and say, yes, slavery was wrong. But in that time, they thought slavery was right. And so did objective moral standards change? Or did we simply discover the truth? And 
So generally, and this, there's there's a reason I bring them back to to the slavery point is so I would say so it's not that we got more evolved and understood that slavery was wrong. Slavery was always wrong, and we discovered it. So the question isn't are we get it wasn't right back then, just like it's not right now. Otherwise, they would have to say in that climate because then you 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 take them again. You take them okay. It's 1940. You're in Germany. Is killing Jews okay because they're inferior beings? Well, no, of course not. Okay, so we can agree that there's some level of objective standard. The question is, where do you get that objective standard from? Because in Germany at that time, in Germany at that time, the majority thought that what Hitler and the Nazis were doing was fine. In 1850, in the U.S., the majority thought that slavery was okay. So this isn't about the major- what the majority of people think. This is about what's objectively true. Where did both of those ideologies go wrong? Both of those ideologies went wrong by, by thinking that there was a subclass of humans. Well, what worldview is there that says that all humans are equal because we are equally created in the image of God, right? That's the Christian worldview. So I would say that, I, I, would, I would simply say that if, and I, I do this all the time, if what I believe is true, right, if what I believe is true, if the Bible is really true, then it is the standard. And I don't, I don't necessarily always try to convince people that it is the standard. I just say, if it is the standard, if it is true, then there's objective right and objective wrong. If it isn't, if there is no God, if there is no standard, then it just, it's just what the majority believes, it's just what happens as, as we get more and more evolved or whatever. And that's a slippery slope because all you're saying now is the majority rules. And when majority rules, horrible things can happen. So I, I, that, that's one way that I, I would answer that question. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I like what you, what you did there is you asked a question. Um, based on what you believe, you asked, you asked questions to flush out what they're actually asking you. Um, and then... Basically, because you, again, I'm just putting these back to the steps that we, t- yep. we gave to our listeners. Um, you know the Bible well. You know what you really believe. And if those things are true, ask the questions. And then what did you do? You took it to the, you took it to the gospel. You played, played it out. Now, you didn't articulate the gospel, but you put, you put it under the foot of the cross. That means these things equal this. Right. And I just, I think if we can get people to start viewing these topics in that manner, I think that will open up doors in terms of their effectiveness in conversations with Christians. So and let's Christians. do some rapid fire ones. Cause we, we had a huge long list of things we wanted to get to and, and we're running out of time already. So quickly, we talked about uh, evolution already. So somebody who says, well, as a Christian, you can't, uh, you, you know, you don't believe in evolution and evolution is a fact. How do you respond to that? I, I ask, I ask a question based facts based on what? is my fir- is my first thing i need give me your source so i know where you're putting your faith obje- in. your your faith your faith in and then i'll not a- not attack it ask questions about it and like i like we said before just pull the string make them defend what they're accusing us of not being able to right yeah and so um with with evolution one of the things that uh, we ought to remember these things, right? So we're going to talk about a few things, uh, homosexuality, uh, evolution, um, if we have enough time. And But the point is, your job isn't to turn an evolutionist into a creationist. 
Your job isn't to turn a homosexual into a heterosexual. Your job is to defend the Christian worldview and then preach the gospel. God's the one who changes homosexuals into heterosexuals and, and evolutionists into creationists. Let, you know, and so uh, w- when it comes to something like evolution, I, I would do exactly the same thing. I would, just, I would just ask certain questions. And ultimately, I'm trying to get them back to, okay, you believe in evolution? Sometimes I'll grant people evolution. Okay, fair enough. How did it all start? Where did it start from? Okay, you, you know, they t- take me back through the animals and through the primordial ooze from which we arose. Where did that cell come from? How did that happen? Tell me how that happened. Where did that come from? Where did the Big Bang come from? Who, you know, where did the... Okay, so it's a, it's a sudden influx of all this energy. Where did the energy come from? Just bring them back to this idea that, that something from nothing is ridiculous. <laughs> And the only way that happens, the only way the Big Bang happens is if there's a Big Banger, and the Big Banger's God. And, uh, and so I would, just, I would just bring them back there and show them some inconsistencies in what they, in what they believe. Um, how about uh, um, another one that comes up kind of is, aren't all religions the same? Well, the, the, simple, the simple fact there is that, like, because we believe what we, what we believe, Jesus refutes that directly. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Right. Which means fundamentally, if I believe what I say I believe, I can't grant that all, all religions are true. So I, that's how I know to answer that question for myself. Because part of answering questions and knowing for sure. answering Internalizing the question for yourself. Internalizing the answers. Yep. For yourself. All I would do is, is simply put that back. If if all religions are true and all religions at some some level do contradict each other, because even if even if all other religions, I'll grant for a second that they all agree, except for Christianity, all religions don't agree. Which means one has to be right and one has to be wrong, because that's truth. Not right. you can't have two truths. There's one truth and one and one false. Despite what postmodernism will tell you, that yeah. you can't have two truths <laughs> if they're diametrically opposed, and 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 that's it. That's exactly it. And that's what I would say. What do Jews believe about the Messiah? Was Jesus the Messiah? Jew says no. Christian says yes. Those two things can't both be true. Exactly. Right? They can't equally be true at the same time. Right. So, um, so you just simply ask questions, and 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 that's obviously not going to be true. Um, you know, there's that, uh, I call it the Oprah analogy, right? That, uh, that uh, there's blind monks who are all feeling around an elephant. Have you heard this? Yes. And one's, one's, one's feeling the tail, one's feeling the trunk and one's feeling the side and one's feeling the feet and they all feel something different, but they're all different expressions of God. And I just think that, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Number one, because God isn't an elephant, (laughs) but also because all of these, uh, it, it would be one thing if, if you were describing the tail, but you're not just describing the tail. That would be the, the analogy breaks down because two people are feeling the trunk if they both have the same thing, something different to say about the same thing, like yeah, Jesus, right? Exactly. So that's two people feeling the trunk and one saying this is a trunk and the other person saying, no, it's water, right? Like well, those two things can't both be true at the same time. Let, let, let's look at two religions that are very common in the world today, Christianity, Islam, both have to answer the same same question. That's who's Jesus Christ. Right. We answer it with he is God made man, and Islam answered his he was a prophet that is second to another prophet. Right. Those, Those are vastly things. things. They can't both, both can't, be true. exactly. They can't both be true. So at that point, which one do you believe is true? Which one do you know is true, and how do you know it? Right. Well, the the word of God is what I put my standard, and the word of God tells me who Jesus is, my, my experience with him also does, but I mean, I put my faith in what, in what the Bible says on that. 
And that's how I know that, that, that all religions can't be true because they all have to answer fundamentally the same question, who's right. Jesus? So how about this one, Chris? Um, you're a Christian. I am. And um, That wasn't the question. Christians, Christians hate gay people and people who have had an abortion and black people. And I don't know who else, but the accusation that Christianity is is a religion of hate or bigotry or whatever. Uh, just just talk about some of those things. <laughs> well, the fir- fir- first response, if somebody was actually asking me that, um, I would say my first question would be, like, do you think that about myself? Yeah, so great question. If, if Way to turn it around, Chris. Like, <laughs> Ask questions. Because the truth is they're probably not talking to me if they think I'm a racist, hate-filled Bigot. Person. Yeah, yeah, bigot, I guess is the word. They're probably not talking to me and they're not asking me those questions. It's probably a much different kind of conversation. Um, but if they're asking me that question, just my, fir- my first, and it's not a method, my first thing I want to do is them to see that I'm a Christian and I'm not that. So right. that's a stereotype that they have of us. And then I just simply want to unpack that stereotype. What, why, why do we, why are we against homosexuality? Well, not because we hate homosexual people. No, because marriage is a picture of the gospel and we love the gospel. And the gospel is, the marriage is a picture of that. And that's why we, it's designed the way it's designed. Right. It's not because we don't want them to be happy or them to be in love or anything like that. It's because we can't have the gospel distorted in any way, shape or form because the gospel is the most precious thing on the earth. Amen. Um, so we can so, just end there. So. Yeah. So, and, and there's a perfect example too of how to get that, that conversation from homosexuality and which you're going to get into that conversation. That's a, that's a hot topic of the day. Christians um, are against homosexuality and same-sex marriage. That's what the world thinks of us. We are, we are homophobic. So this question will come up as you try to share your faith with people. So here's how you get them to the gospel. Um, first of all, uh, Ephesians 5, right? It talks about how uh, Paul's talking about marriage between a man and a woman. He says this mystery, this coming together of man and woman is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So there's a, there's a picture of the gospel, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. Wives, submit to your husbands, essentially, as the, as the church submits to Christ in all things. And so there's a fundamental picture of the gospel there. What homosexuality or same-sex mirage says is that two two dudes can do there you right there can be there can be two grooms there can be two leaders there can be two heads we don't need submission we don't need helping we don't need it's 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 a fundamental perversion of the gospel there's also the the um the um what will often come up in, in talking about homosexuality. And, and again, I would just encourage Christians, don't get caught on all these bunny trails. Don't get caught in debating homosexuality, especially with a gay person. Um, don't, don't get caught in this. But one thing that will come up, it's come up with me in many conversations, is people say, well, how can you tell me that's a sin? How can you tell me the Bible says that when I was born this way? I was born this way. This wasn't a choice. How can that be sinful? Hey, let's get to the gospel real quick. Hey, I was born sinful too, right? The gospel says that everybody was born into sin. Everybody is born with a predisposition to sin. We aren't the way that God wants us to be. We are broken. We are bent. We are sinful. We are dead in our trespasses. The gospel transforms us. So 
just like the gospel transforms somebody who is, um, uh, you know, full of pride or full of whatever, full of self-centeredness, um, the, the gospel transforms homosexuals the same way it, it uh, uh, transforms selfish murderers, liars, cheaters, swindlers, etc. Um, so you can get to the foot of the cross with that. Another topic that's going to come up because what are Christian what what are Christians against? Right, we're looked at as two. Uh, two topic voters, right? We vote based on what candidate is against same-sex marriage and against abortion. So the other thing that's going to come up is abortion. It will come up in, in your Absolutely. conversations. And so why why uh, do do Christians um, uh, talk about home, uh, about abortion as, as a sin? Because we believe in the sanctity of life. Get this, again, back to the gospel. You were, every human being is knit together in their mother's womb um, and uh, and made with the image of God. And what's interesting, let's get the uh, let's get abortion back to the gospel as well. Uh, abortion says your you give up your life for me, for my convenience, for my choice. The gospel says I give up my life for you, for your flourishing. And in in that way, abortion is anti-gospel. And so uh, again, why why is it that um, abortion is sinful? Well, because we believe in the sanctity of life, because we believe everybody is created in the image of God. But fundamentally, because God laid down his life for us, and we ought not to ask someone else to lay down their life for us other than Christ. And, uh, and so it's, it's just an interesting that all of these issues, if you know your Bible well enough, if you think about them hard enough, if you believe the Bible and you ask questions, you can get every one of these social issues, everything that you'll get accused of, you can bring it to the gospel. And ultimately, that's, that's all apologetics is. Give a defense for your faith and figure out how to get to the gospel in these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think what might be helpful for, if you guys have any questions about specific, yeah, like we are, we are sure. more than happy to engage with that private message or right on, on the comment section. Even if you're asking just because you want us to flush it out or flush it out or however that's supposed to go. Um, and you want us to say what we would say in, in a conversation that you may have had at work or anything. Yep. Let's make this an ongoing ongoing discussion because iron sharpens iron, right? We yeah, we get sure. better at this stuff when we practice it, um, and it's even even right here. It's sometimes awkward just to be thrown on the spot right away without any like we did this completely without any preparation in terms of what we were going to say. <laughs> tell people um, that. Make them should I not tell people <laughs> that? Um, no, that's fine. Always be ready, right? Yeah. So always be ready. Um, it's one of those things. So we would like to have that conversation and keep it going. So feel free to post on the Facebook or on the Twitter or by message and we'll, we'll engage and we'll answer these questions as they come in. So, uh, we, we do have, uh, um, just, uh, a few short seconds left, uh, because we ran out of time real quickly. So we won't, uh, we won't sign off with any sort of end segment. Um, but, uh, we would just encourage you. So there's a couple of books that I would throw out there to you. Um, Tactics by Greg Kokel is, is just a great book that will help you, um, navigate how to have conversations with non-Christian, uh, friends. Um, there's the book, uh, by this standard by Greg Bonson or by what standard is the book that came before that by Greg Bonson, um, which is, uh, which is a great, um, uh, a great book. And then, uh, why I still believe by, uh, Dr. Joe boot is a, is a great book on, um, on some of this stuff. So, uh, anyway, those are some books that I would point you to. We have a lot more resources we could talk about. Interact with us on Facebook if you want any specifics. Um, but this kind of concludes our apologetic series. It felt rushed. 
but we have other things that we want to get to and we have some guests that we're really excited about so we're not going to spend any more time on it but we'll uh, come back to it yeah but i'm I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point so uh thanks for joining us uh make sure to check us out and the other uh members of the berean media network and uh, we'll see you next week with a really exciting guest You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, write a review, and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you. So if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.